Welcome in to the PHNX Suns podcast brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and leave a five-star review. I'm Lindsay Smith here with Gerald Borgay, Saul Bookman, and Espo. Gentlemen, today's question of the day. What's your favorite Four Peaks beer? Well, it's funny that you ask, Lindsay. I just have to have mine here. It, uh, just ironically, no, no reason why, but it's the Peach golden ale and it is one of my favorite beers uh i love it it's smooth and uh, it's my favorite i'll get made fun of because it's just peach and i know saul's queuing up something but i love this peach i love peach i love peach is my favorite outside of the fact that we are on a sun show and i do have a sun's brew which is also uh, is also my favorite so uh yeah I'm I'm with Saul. The Suns Brew is my favorite, followed closely by the Kilt Lifter. I do have a peach here though, because it's nice to mix it up every once in a while. So it is. I love that Edward is already pointing out that Saul and Gerald are twinning with the shirts today. Espo, are you mm-hmm. and I twinning? Do we have the same one? Do we have the one with no, the peach? No, I'm wearing a peach. Oh. Oh. They don't, they don't, they don't have down, fat man Espo. sizes in the four peak shirts that they sent over. <laughs> oh. I tried. I tried. I said Espo. Let me give you this size. Just squeeze into it. Put a flannel over the side. You'll be fine. Nobody he wants didn't, to see he didn't, he didn't want to play the game. So, Saul, tell us, why are we all drinking Four Peaks brews? Well, it's because Four Peaks is now a great partner of ours. The official <sighs> beer of PHNX. We couldn't be more excited to have uh, Four Peaks as uh, as our our partner now. It's It's been a fantastic journey over the last eight to nine months to try and make this happen. And uh, the great folks at Four Peaks have been generous enough to, to welcome us into their family and us into the, uh, them into ours. And it's, uh, it's been great. We, uh, we actually toured the facility the other day. We had some great things uh, going on in store for the future. We have a Coyotes draft party uh, coming up here in the, in the next couple months, or actually in the next month. And uh, just a, it's going to be a fun time, fun time overall. One time a month, we will always be live from Four Peaks from this point forward um, until we get a bar. And even when we get a bar, we'll still be live from Four Peaks once a month. Uh, just a lot of great things going on. Um, you know, obviously, we are an Arizona company. We are, you know, built and bred around this community. So was Four Peaks. And the merger couldn't have been any better. Hell yes. I'm so excited. I've been drinking Four Peaks since I came to Arizona back in like 2009. So I'm very excited about this. You were 12 then, Gerald. How how have we been drinking? Gerald, we don't don't need to go into that. We don't ask those kind of questions on this show. We let the people do whatever they want. And if Gerald wants to drink, I know. (laughs) That was more Gerald just looks immensely young to be doing anything back then. Fair. uh, Fair point. My, Rick James in the chat says, great for everybody except Johnny. Or Johnny Venerable taking shots in our oh. own uh, in our own chat here. Uh, we're not even strays. the Cardinal show. Dude can't chug a beer, but we're going to get him out to Four Peaks and do some training sessions so he can oh. learn how to do it. Poor Johnny will never live that moment. Never. I think for the rest of his life, it will follow him in some capacity. Bless his heart. He's always catching strays. It doesn't Bless matter what show it is. It. He's caught him on the D-back show, the Coyote show, our <laughs> show now. Oh, poor guy. In, in his ad that he wasn't even there for to take a photo <laughs> at Four Peaks, he took a shot. 
You gotta love Johnny. You gotta love him. Let me just remind everybody, since Espo already brought up underage drinking and tried to accuse Gerald of crimes, you must be 21 or older to indulge in Four Peaks beverages, and we want you guys to enjoy response. Espo's trying to burn the house down on day one. It's like, the Four Peaks, there's probably a Four Peaks person that just tuned in and was like, what? 12-year-old drinking? No! (laughs) They're like, that's not what we're about. I was trying to get Gerald to make it clear that he was of age at that point so that's I all was I was of age yes i was thank of age. you thank you, <laughs> you i'm know just what? trying to make sure we're responsible <laughs> on this program damn it you know what my favorite thing about being able to tour the facilities over at four peaks was, Good, the was ghost tours? yes it's haunted i had no mm-hmm. idea their whole like building over there in tempe is haunted they have so many different ghosts that they were telling us about and i think he said in october they do like ghost tours so Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna catch some phnx members out there having a little bit of fun around the halloween uh festivities that's so funny if you guys you guys should have seen Lindsay when we were every time he said something that kind of piqued her interest she looked over at me and she was like, content, like, <laughs> that's what we're doing, right? Like, that's happening, right? I was like, yes, we are going like, to take listen, a ghost tour for sure. I'm just letting you know, Salt, there's something that piques my interest. We got to lean into it because it's very far and few in between. So oh, when, yes, when I know. Listen, happens, we got to like, lean into it. Not only, not only are you interested in it, but we are, are also interested in it because you are interested in it. We're like, oh, <laughs> there it is, guys. It happened. <laughs> well, if you if you haven't been out there, it's a hundred and thirty year old building. Like it's super cool. It is where Four Peaks and Tempe is located. So go check it out for sure. Uh, it's not just great brews; it's also an interesting experience that you'll you'll have fun with. All right, well, we've got a fun show in store for you guys today. So thank you for tuning in. First up, earlier today we were lucky enough to be able to sit down and chat with Eddie Johnson. You may know him, obviously as a Phoenix Suns analyst and also a former NBA sharpshooter. Here is that conversation. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. How have you been? I'm just hanging in there. You know, it's been a rough, uh, obviously, month for me, uh, just watching the playoffs. And, you know, I was expecting to be here in Phoenix. And now I got to travel to San Francisco for every finals game and do my radio show from there, Sirius XM, NBA Today show. Uh, and so that's tough, you know, to run across these Warrior fans and deal with the Maverick fans who still talking smack to me. Uh, so it's it's been a rough month, man, because I think we all expected, you know, our team to be there in the finals and it just didn't happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're not alone in those feelings, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of running into Mavs fans and Warriors fans. You've been a little busy on Twitter recently. We had a interaction with KD on Twitter. So let me set the stage for anybody who maybe missed that. So Stephen A. Smith had shared a video saying, you know, that he thinks Steph changed the game for the better and MJ changed the game for the worse, to which KD responded, my theory is that guys like Steve, Skip, and Shannon have changed the game for the worse. Players like Steph and Michael can only push the game forward. Then you responded to Kevin Durant saying, I disagree with Stephen A's take, but he has the right to state his opinion because of one reason. He's put in the damn work. I'll be honest, I can't stand those other two mentioned, but they are putting in the work. Athletes today are too damn sensitive and focus on negative comments more than the positive. 
So EJ, break it down for us. Kind of give us your thoughts on on what you were trying to say to Katie during this and what you got from the interaction. Well, basically, I was really indirectly trying to tell them to try to stop taking somebody's job. Like, you know, it's one thing to disagree, and I disagree with people, but I'll never, like, try to put stuff out there and try to challenge their job. And I think, you know, the athletes today, they're so sensitive. Uh, they call this stuff the new media, which I have no idea what that means. I mean, new media, that means you go to kiss and hug on each other all day. That's going to be rather boring. Uh, but that's their mindset. They feel like they're protecting themselves by coming up with all these podcasts and different things to try to balance the media. And, and look, that's fine if they want to do that. But I'm not agreeing with no new media stuff. I think Stephen A., and guys like that have put in the work uh, to put themselves in position. They were in competition with people to get that job. You all are in competition with people to be able to do podcasts. And I don't think anybody should just say, you know, you're hurting the game. You're just stating your opinion. Uh, but Kevin Durant's very sensitive. Uh, he truly is. I love the fact that he's on Twitter, though, and that he responds. So he's a lot like me. You know, like I, I might tweet something, but I will respond. And somebody says something, I feel interaction is good. I have no issue with it. Uh, and so I have fun with it. The, the crazy part is they tend to think that they're making me mad, which is comical. I, I can't get mad at somebody I don't know. Like, I've never gotten mad at somebody I didn't know, unless he did something to a family member or a friend. But other than that, I can't, how can I get mad at someone? But they have that mindset, and uh, and I think KD loves to embrace it, and he embraced me. He was respectful in, in how he responded. I mean, you can tell he wasn't, you know, going at me, uh, you know, but he and I have had a difference of opinion over the last number of years, so it's, it's nothing changed in that light. Eddie, are you worried that that, that might prevent him from coming to Phoenix at some point, <laughs> or could you patch that up? <laughs> Man, you know, I got some tweets from people talking about, oh, Eddie, be nice. Listen, that's a grown-ass man, okay? If that stops him from making a decision, if he if he felt like, oh, Eddie, with that, you know what? They can pay me two years, and I'll leave. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I'll leave nicely. How about that? <laughs> okay, but no, do I don't, you I don't like... think that's an issue. I think – you know, like I said, KD, he, he understands the history of the game, and he likes to banter back and forth. Uh, and I don't think he takes any of that ultra personal. I think the only thing he takes personal is obviously when people try to belittle his accomplishments uh, in Golden State. And, and I can understand that. But at I the definitely same time, think Eddie, that's I mean, you, you, I mean, I think you would agree that it's, it, you said that you agree that the players having a voice on Twitter is a good thing, but – I mean, there are certain circumstances where players like, no, I'm not going to get disrespected like this. Like, you don't even know the whole story. And they come out on Twitter. Like, are you are you against them voicing kind of going against the public public perception that maybe certain circumstances present um, or just, you know, them going after somebody, you know, a talking a talking piece from another network just in general? No, I think, you know, Twitter is a it's an open conversation. And if Kevin Durant feels a certain way, if Draymond Green feels a certain way, he has a right to state his opinion uh, because sometimes players are misquoted. Uh, sometimes people, you know, with the clickbait, they're going to take the most juiciest response that he had, but they don't give the whole story. 
course. There's so much competition right now in the news media. It's ridiculous, right? There's one back when I was coming up, man, we only had one reporter, you know, follow us. Now it's thousands that follow guys. So, no, I think those guys should be able to protect themselves. And I enjoy it because at one point in time, we all have been controlled by how we respond back to fans. And like I tell guys on Twitter and I even females, look, I'm not biting my tongue for you anymore. If you want to crack on me, if you want to say something about my mom, I'm going to say something about your mom. <laughs> I mean, like I'm 63 years old. I like, look, I, I'm not taking it, and especially not taking it from some little young stoop that want to hide behind a Twitter and don't put a picture up. Which I put my picture up. You know who I am. I have an issue with dudes like that. Like, they don't put their picture up. That tells me they're a coward. Okay, for one. And then two, you know, they, they walk around and they want to say negative things and all of that. Fine, follow me. Like, I'm not going to allow you to jump in my mentions and say negative things. And you're not following me? Block. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how much, if Twitter was around when you were in the NBA, how oh my much God. trouble would Eddie Johnson, the player, have gotten in? No, I would have been professional. I wouldn't have said much as a player. That's the point. Like, I, like for me, I was extremely professional. I talk smack on the court. But for people that know me, you'd have to beat a conversation out of me. I was extremely quiet. Uh, you, you can ask my wife. I mean, like, the, one, the most frustrating thing for her when we got married is my lack of communication. Uh, I just didn't talk much. I was a loner. I still am a loner, believe it or not. Uh, I spend a ton of time at home by myself on the golf course. That's all I do. And I might go play poker every now and then, put my headset on, and I'm by myself. I don't talk to anybody. I love that quiet time that I can get. And I was like that as an individual, which wasn't a good thing. And I was brought out of that by my wife, by forcing me to be more, you know, talkative to people and get out there. And lo and behold, it led to me not shutting up now, right, where I get on and I talk. So – no, I encourage guys. I don't have an issue with it at all. I just wouldn't have been one of them guys. I would have let my game do the talking for me. I got to ask about the stoop thing because that's one of my favorite things we see from you on Twitter. When did you start kind of using that, and do you have any other go-tos <laughs> when you address trolls on Twitter? That's it's such a, a Chicago term, thing, it's too. A term of it. Really, realistically, it's a term of endearment, really. Uh, <laughs> like, you all know I wrote a book a number of years ago that sold very well, still selling. Uh, it's a guide for athletes to just stay on the right track. And it's called You Big Dummy. You can get it on Amazon. Still there. Uh, and and then my picture's on the cover. And basically, I'm just telling athletes in general, uh, people in corporations, is anybody that in this walk of life, you know, it's just a, a fine line that you have to walk through and you have to be proactive in doing it. And and so I got that from Fred Sanford. Again, watch Sanford and Son. He used to call his son Lamont, You Big Dummy. And there was a term of endearment because he loved his son. Uh, but and that's what stoop is. Like I, I stoop is not me trying to be the you know derogatory toward anybody. Because if, if I was, I'd say stupid. So I just say stoop. You know, it's just a term just to say, man, you out of line. You know, I, I don't understand what you're saying. And and so that's all it is. And it just stuck, man. I mean, I got people using it, stole it from me. Just like they stole the hashtag we good. You know, they got so tired of me putting we good. And, and all of a sudden, I should have got that patented, right? Uh, but so many people stole that from me as well. But 
you know, I just love saying things, man. I, I like to have fun. That's all it is. It's, I laugh 99.9% of the time when I say something on Twitter to somebody, I'm laughing. They think I'm an old man in the clouds. What they say, the old man don't get off my lawn kind of thing. I don't even know what the hell that means, but, you know, because I, I told most of them guys, well, I'm an old man. I tell you what, I'll take my shirt off. You take yours off. <laughs> we love spicy, spicy EJ on Twitter. So never change, Eddie. Never change. Thanks. <laughs> I have fun. Eddie, let's, let's take a look and talk a little bit about the, the playoff series against the Mavs. You talked about the Mavs fans that are still in your mentions there, but uh report came out yesterday from the athletic about COVID being a, an issue. Did you see illness being an issue with this team? And how do you think it affected that Mavs series from what you could tell? I just tell people, look, like, and I'm disappointed a little bit in like Suns fans uh to this point. Uh, and then maybe some in the media that went straight to, ah, we choked. Oh, we hold up. Team won 64 games. In the course of the season, did you ever see them be intimidated? Did, I mean, they had a freaking dance, a uh, disco dance where they ran out to the court. This team was highly loose and they were overly confident. I didn't see anything with them all year long that would tell me they would sink to not being confident or they would melt down to the to uh, Luka Doncic. Really? No. But what I can tell you, if they're compromised physically, that's an issue. And so it was pretty easy for me to see that something was wrong. Now, again, I don't know exactly what was wrong. You know, when you when now today, if you tell somebody you're sick, they think it's cold. I mean, these stoops, don't they? They need to go to a hospital and they can see all kinds of sicknesses. I mean, people didn't forgot about cancer. I mean, they they forgotten about uh, maybe bad muscles, tight muscles, pull hamstrings. They forgotten all about that. So if somebody's compromised, now it's cold. I don't know what it was. But I just know they weren't themselves. Uh, fatigue could it have been? I have no idea. But they were not <laughs> themselves, and, and I I sense that back when they went, you know, when they went to Dallas up 2-0 and they lost two games. It was way before Game Six, and way before Game Seven. I sensed something was wrong, and uh, they just could never get out of it. You know, you talked about Chris Paul uh, on a, on another show about, you know, him not looking right and maybe him being, uh, you know, sick. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, you know, four out of five games, Eddie, I mean, they got housed four out of five games. It wasn't even close for four out of those five games. And then you have the outlier in game five. And so as, as a Suns fan or a, as the Suns community, I think the, 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 the wonderment is, well, what, which one was the real deal? You know, you had two games where they played – terribly and then they had a great game in game five and then they went back to playing two terrible games was it fatigue was it illness was it they just sucked you know like what what was it i've always said that no matter how good a player is and it used to drive me nuts when i played because some coaches would still be okay with putting a guy out there that was quote unquote the star but he only had one leg meaning that he was injured you know, but he was pushing through it. 
and I'm saying to myself, you, so you basically telling me he's better on one leg than I am on two? And I always had an issue with that. Uh, and and I think a part of the problem was, yeah, fatigue, okay, uh, without a doubt. But both teams were fatigued. Dallas was shooting the ball exceptionally well at times in that series against them. Uh, they were attacking the glass. You know, they were getting second and third opportunities. Those were basketball things that happened. So the, the series was already going to be tough, right? Dallas had, I think, the second best record in the league after January the 1st. A lot of people didn't know that. So basketball alone was going to be tough, all right? And then you don't feel good for whatever reasons. Like, it hasn't totally come out, and so I'm not going to guess, but they looked like something was wrong. And so now you add that in. That guy with two legs better than that guy with one leg. That's just how I look at it. And anybody can get beat. It's not the first time. And they fell prey to it. And they fell prey to a team in Dallas that came in at game seven. I don't care who Dallas was playing. They were winning that game the way they shot. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't like the Suns weren't trying to play D. They were making shots like crazy. And that's why you don't want a game seven. That's why you don't. Because in the game seven, is like NCAA now. It's like, you know, anything can happen. How many upsets we've seen in NCAA over the years where it's just one game to win? And that's what it got down to, one game. And the Suns paid the price. And they're going to have to live with that all offseason. EJ, speaking of the offseason, I think for us in the Suns community, it's been tough to balance, you know, this franchise best regular season that they had and, and looking like title favorites, let's be honest, and then the way that it ended in game seven. And now heading into the offseason, it's hard to balance, okay, are we that 64-win team? Or are we a team that needs to change some things in the offseason? So with DA's restricted free agency, with a busy summer ahead, what are kind of your thoughts on what the Suns should do with Aiton and what they should do this summer at large? Well, first and foremost, they still have Aiton. Aiton is a restricted free agent. So he can't escape the Suns if they don't want him to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so – that has to be laid out there. I think some people out there said, oh, he's going to leave and they're going to lose him. No, they don't have to lose him. If he signs an offer sheet for somebody else, they can match the offer sheet. So he's still in their control. Uh, so I know that well because I was never a free, free agent when I played other than one time. And that was at the end of my career, and I hated that. I collected bargaining agreements, something <laughs> like that. Uh, but and so for Aiden right now, it's really up to him. Uh, it's up to him uh, and what he's willing to accept. And it's up to him, obviously, to continue to grow as a young player, uh, not just on the court, but off the court. So he's in control of what he wants to accept. And uh, obviously, you know, based on reports and based on, you know, what you hear is not all fruity right now with those two sides. But, you know, things can change quickly. And so I'm hoping for the best, uh, but this team is still good enough uh, that if they lost a guy that caliber, uh, if they can go out and get somebody, they're still good enough to be a extremely competitive basketball team. And I'm just hoping uh, that doesn't happen. I'm hoping that they stay, stay the same team and run it back again. Uh, but, you know, in this business, that's never going to happen. 
So expect them to tweak some stuff, even if Aiden stays, uh, and see if they can get maybe I would say another player that can actually create. Because mm-hmm. uh, right now we only have two, and Chris Paul just can't be out there 35 plus minutes. And so I think that's an area that they're going to try to shore up. Uh, can Mikhail become that person? Maybe. But I think they need somebody that they know can do it and then allow Mikhail and Cam Johnson to continue to grow and evolve into a role. And now you got five guys out there that can go get it on their own. That pretty much makes them unguardable. And you see the Boston Celtics right now. They got three guys right now that can pretty much go get it on their own. And Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. And that's really making Golden State really, you know, headspin because it's just hard to really stop all three guys that's offensive-minded like that. I have a question for you about DA. So there's a lot of rumors out there now, and a lot of these rumors are very negative, talking about the tension between his camp and the Suns camp and that things are so far gone, there's no way to mend the relationship. And, of course, these rumors kind of stem from the whole Game 7 thing and then comments from Monty afterwards. And it's all been so just straight up negative, but in your experience and just from your knowledge and information around the team and just being a player yourself, is there a route where these two sides could come to a mutual agreement and mend these things if they are as bad as people are claiming that it is? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Monty is as easy going as they, as they come. Uh, I think he's, he's one person that will accept apologies and I'm sure he's on the other side. He will, say he's sorry for things maybe he did. So I don't have any issue with that at all. Uh, Again, I just think it's up to DeAndre. Uh, What does he want? You know, is he willing to accept what what the Suns are offering if it's not the max? And, uh, you know, is he okay with coming back to a situation where, you know, he got some bad press? Uh, I think that it's all in his corner right now. Uh, and, and is he willing to allow the ego to just finally go away? I think he did a great job this year in that regard. But, I, I, look, I have to be honest and put myself in that place. Uh, if I, you know, saw two guys hit the max in Luka Doncic and, and Trey Young and I went to the finals, I would be upset. But I think DeAndre is just looking at that aspect of it, what he has to look at as well is what he is doing to improve and is he shoring up the things that they have been talking to him about shoring up and i think it's just on both sides that have to meet in the middle well that was my question too Lindsay. so uh, you, 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 you stole my thunder today it's all good so yeah. My bad. Well, you also mentioned CP3. One of the biggest conversations we've kind of been having over this offseason, looking ahead to next season, is maybe is there a way to remove some of the load from Chris Paul so that he can kind of manage the season a little bit more, being that he is an older player and he's kind of, you know, reaching the end of his career. But a lot of the question that has come from that conversation is will Chris Paul allow that to be the case? Will he take a little bit of a step back to be able to, you know, save some energy or save his body for a deeper playoff run? Do you think if he and Monty and the coaching staff all sat down and have a conversation, CP would be willing to take a little bit of a step back just to relieve some of that load on his shoulders? The hardest part for any player 
that has played at such a high level uh, as Chris is to accept backpedaling. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's hard. It's like I played till I was 40 years old. And I finally came to the realization uh, at 39 that uh, there's just certain things I can't do. Charles Barkley threw a cross-court pass to me with the Houston Rockets. He threw it, and I saw it coming, and I didn't even move for it because my legs didn't get the message. And <laughs> Brian Russell just jumped right in front of me, took it, and went down and dunked. And as we were walking back to the huddle, <clears throat> Charles, one of the greatest teammates I've ever had, uh, he looked at me. You know, you know how he can put that smile and that smirk on his face. He just like had his head cocked, looking at me. I said, Chuck, I know what you're getting ready to say. I saw the ball coming. And I told myself to move toward it and jump. And I couldn't. And he just started laughing. <laughs> and I knew. I knew then that I was at the end of the road. And so Chris has to get to a point where he has to know he can't play 38 minutes, 40 minutes in a game if he wants to play a much longer time. And But I think he'll be okay with it if he had a backup that would be in there that would carry forward what he's what he's already drawn and not mess up the artwork right mm-hmm. i think that's when he'll be more stabilized campaign and he'll admit it he didn't have a good year last season and and so because of that you know he has to be pretty worried about okay is he still going to be the backup point guard and i i think it's it's a few little minor changes that they will make to maybe help chris and I think he'll be, he's on board for it, man, because he, he he wants to play a long time, and he knows he can't keep playing that many minutes. And then he also knows in the playoffs he wants to be fresher. And the last few years, you know, we've seen him, you know, get fatigued because of what teams were doing to him. And uh, so I, I think he will change. But Eddie, I mean, he had, I mean, he had five out of the last six weeks of the season off. I mean, yeah. how much more rest do you need? Well, it's not even about rest. See, it's about because he's in shape. So that's that's why that's why these players kind of fool you when they talk about they need rest. No, no, you you need to be in shape. The only way to be in shape is to play. And so when you get a lot of time off, that doesn't mean you're resting. That means you're losing shape. Look, what? Come on now, you all should know this. Like, if you're not going, I'm. I went to work out today. If I sat around and said, "Oh, I'm just going to rest." You know, I'm going to put on about 10, 15 pounds. <laughs> That's so, my workout plan. Rest. No, rest is not great for an NBA player. It's really not. Like when those players aren't playing, people don't realize that they're still doing cardio. Like they're getting the game off, but they're doing cardio. They're lifting weights. Like they're not like just at home lying down. So, you know, in that sense, no, he is he is constantly working. And so because of that, it's the game. It's the intensity of the game where he needs to get that break. And and so that's what we're talking about here. And so no, I, I think he'll I think it's fine. And I think he will figure out a way to to really make it work now as he understands that, you know, Father Time does not wait for anyone. Ain't that the truth? So that's what we got to do this offseason. We got to find a solid backup point guard so that we can take a little bit of that load off of Chris Paul's shoulders. Yeah, ball handle, Lindsay. yeah I mean, you did like, mention that earlier. Just a play, like campaign, yeah. Like campaign is, you know, he's still very viable for this team. But just somebody else out there that can, you know, run the offense, bring the ball up, uh, 
be able to create off the dribble, create for others. Like when you have that, like the team last year that beat us in the finals, what did they have? They had Chris Middleton, right, Drew Holiday, and Giannis. All three did what? Created for their teammates off the dribble, ran a two-man game, took the pressure off one another. And so that's what Boston is doing this year. So the blueprint's there. Like, you know, even with Golden State, look at the blueprint, right? I mean, they got, you know, they got four guys, really. And even Andrew Wiggins at times. They got Steph, they got Clay, they got Jordan Poole, and they got Draymond. All ball handlers. And so I think that's an area that we have to shore up because we got great shooting. We got guys that know no detail, know how to get to their spots. It's just having that multitude of guys that can create when Chris Paul's on the bench or Devin Booker's on the bench. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Always. I mean, you <laughs> well, know, you all you are my people, you know. We'll have to have you uh now. we'll have to have you back on at some point closer to uh next season to help us preview some No, we're gonna have talk we're gonna a little have, bit more. We're gonna well, have you gotta Eddie, Eddie you're gonna come out to the bars, what you're gonna do. When we get the <laughs> when we get the PH Nick Sports Bar by the end of the year, you gotta come out, have some drinks with us. All right, no problem. What, what, what is this? What sports bar is this? Ours. Really? Oh, yeah. Come on now. Right. Maybe we big time over here. Let's go. Hey, well, you know, I mean, I, you, know you, you let me know about it after. Like, why? I couldn't invest in it. You There's still time. You want to get me a drink. I want to make money off the drink. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Eddie, we'll see you soon. All right, guys. I guess the lesson learned there is that we got to start telling Eddie our plans ahead of time so that he can get involved with us even earlier. I, I was so shocked. He was like, what, what do you mean? What's this? What do you mean? What's this? Come on, bro. Let's go. Eddie. You know, you know what we learned? Eddie ain't listening daily to the program. That's what we learned from, from that last part. Oh, he will be He's now. very busy. He, he has like 20 jobs. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. But shout out to Eddie for joining us and a good conversation to be had there. Hopefully, we can have him back on multiple times this offseason or at the very least, like I said, sometime before next season to kind of help preview that for us. Um, have any of you guys been on the DraftKings Sportsbook app recently? Have you noticed any odd changing with the finals or what's going Just on? Just a little there? bit. Just a little bit. The Warriors' pick, odds are not as good as they once were. I'll tell you that much. My pick of the week was pretty spot on yesterday, was it not? That is true. You did hit, Espo. That was a good one. Saul, you've got odds for MVP, right? Yeah. I don't know why DraftKings has Jason Tatum at a plus 105 uh, over Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown's played better than him in this series. Um, but as they kind of pointed out a little bit, maybe it's because Jason Tatum seems to have kind of figured out the Warriors a little bit. He, he certainly looked like it in the fourth quarter yesterday. So, um, you know, his odds. And then Steph Curry's kind of sandwiched in between them uh, as a 205. I, I actually think Jalen Brown will end up being the MVP because I just think that he's played at a, at a, at a higher level than everybody else on the Celtics. But the Celtics as a team have been – uh, you know, you know what's so funny is, is when when EJ was talking about, you know, the the styles and stuff like that, and we're about to actually get into the system talk. But it's funny how you you have to dictate your style, and that was like the biggest thing that I feel like I took away from 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 EJ's conversation is that you have to dictate your style because there's not one style that fits all the time, and you just undeniably can win with the Warriors are a certain style, the Celtics are are 
kind of mirror a little bit of that style, but they're also much more physical and much bigger team. Um, and it's just, it, the Suns just need to be the Suns. And if they had showed up, then maybe we'd be having a different conversation about the finals right now. But hopefully their odds are going to be improved with the DraftKings Sportsbook app next year, hopefully after they get a nice sign-in trade with DA and maybe even get some superstar to come into the fold. Who knows? Maybe. Fingers crossed. Hopefully if we make any futures bets for next season, they'll all hit and we'll be much happier for that. If you guys want to get in on the action, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code PHNX when you sign up. And after you make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals, you're going to get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code PHNX. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, just a quick reminder that COVID is not gone, unfortunately. We've seen the issues throughout the league. We've talked about it plenty of times on this show We've read all the articles. So just a reminder, COVID-19 vaccines are free for everyone five and older. Those 12 and older are also now eligible for a booster. Visit azhealth.gov slash find vaccine for a location near you. All right, Saul mentioned it, so let's get into it. We're going to start the, or we're going to close the show with a conversation around the Suns system. And Gerald, you kind of took the lead with this one by bringing some of these things to our attention, pulling all the numbers. You wrote a great article over at gophnx.com about it. So kind of break down for us what those numbers kind of look like. Yeah, so one thing that kind of struck me throughout the season is every time I would write about an individual player, I would kind of dive into their shooting numbers. And I noticed with so many players on this team that they were all really good from the mid-range. And so it's the off-season. What better time to explore topics like this than right now? Um, and I do want to point out, like, it wasn't the offense that let them down in the playoffs. It was mostly the defense. If you look at their offensive rating from the regular season compared to even that playoff series, it was pretty similar. The problem is that when Chris Paul broke down, they lacked options. Like, they just ran out of other options. They ran out of other ball handlers, like EJ was kind of talking about in the interview. And it's because a lot of what they do is predicated from the mid range. And to be fair, they are an elite mid range team. So if we can pull that graphic up, like you look at the numbers, they are shooting 41.7% of their shots from the mid range, which ranked first in the NBA. And they hit 48% of those shots, which also ranked first. They took 27.6% of their shots from the short mid range first in the NBA. And they shot 49, the, the numbers there are switched, but they shot 49% also first. They took 14.1% of their shots from the long mid-range, which ranked third, and they shot 46.2%, which ranked second. So really elite team when it comes to shooting from the mid-range. Like, they're just good at it. They're one of the few teams that takes that many shots and makes that many shots from that area of the floor. Um, but before we dive into it a little bit deeper, I'm curious, like, watching this team, we all knew that they were mid-range savants. They were mid-range artisans if you will but but um oh, oh, <laughs> this guy i'm sorry I couldn't help it. you couldn't, couldn't help resist it. it's it's the pjl talking um is it is no, it gerald it's not, it's not. <laughs> how many pjls do you have during games when you're tweeting that it's not because that line was literally from the article sorry guys. yeah but, uh, good try <laughs> but i am curious because the rest of the league is so dependent on threes and 
you know, shots at the rim. That's the way the league is trending. So when you guys watch this team during the season, did it kind of stand out to you as something that, you know, there's, they're zagging while the rest of the league zigs and they can do that. Or is it something that kind of concerns you throughout the season? I mean, well, I think ob- that, go ahead. I was just gonna say, obviously in the regular season, it seemed to work, but when things tighten in the playoffs, you know, when things become a half court game, it felt like they lacked the ability to spread that uh, spread things out and really caused some issues. And I think part of that too impacts DA because when they're not more of a spread out offense, it clogs even that middle area where he can be effective. So it, it, I think it gums up the works a bit when you get into the playoffs. And ultimately if that's the goal, then it is problematic. And, it, you know, the analytics theory, thinking, and it's not rocket science, is three is worth more than two. Well, if you're playing an opponent who spreads it out and hits those threes real well, uh, four games against the Mavs when, they, when the Suns lost, you're playing an uphill battle just simply because of the math of it all. I mean, as well, it wasn't just the Mavs, though. There, every team that we faced this season, even going back to the regular season, season just a handful of times, if we faced a really good three-point shooting team, we struggled in those games. We may not have lost all of them, but there were more. There was more of a struggle than not. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the problem. That's the problem. Like, listen, the Suns shot a better percentage from three-point range than the Mavs did, believe it or not. The only problem is that the Mavs shot way more and hit, I think they hit 30 or 33 more than the Suns did overall in the series and when you have that big of a disparity you have to be almost pristine on your mid-range game to keep up with a team like that um and we saw that for four out of five games against the Mavs and I love your point Espo I think that's a beautiful point that might be the best point you've made all year long is that (laughs) the PGL talking if you don't have the type of perimeter shooting or the threat of perimeter shooting like let's say the Warriors or the Mavs do um, it does gum up the works, as you as you put it, and it and it creates less space for DA to be able to operate, um, or even to be able to move freely inside the paint and and avoid those double teams, which seemingly come since his rookie year. So I, I think those are all, uh, you know, those, those are all attributable to the system. Um, how they work off of this, I think, is in large part who they bring in this offseason, who is going to be that shooter, and I think that's why a lot of people. I, I hate this trade, but I think there's a lot of people that believe that if they did trade for Clint Capella and Kevin Herter, then that would be a, a solution to a degree because Kevin Herter is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. You might be able to team him up with a Cam Johnson on the on the opposite perimeter, um, and that might be able to free up a lot of the lane for your pick-and-roll game, um, unlike you know the, the, the what the Suns currently have. Yeah, I think the mid-range also hurts them in one other area where they settle uh, for that and they don't drive in more often, which cuts down on the opportunities at the free throw line because you're not drawing enough contact by going to the hoop more often uh, as well, which those were the two areas that really hurt the Suns was, you know, when three-point shooting was, uh, you know, the opponent shot well three-point shooting, but also the discrepancy in free throws. And those are two areas that I think the system – may have a big impact though. Yeah, and that's that's a key thing here is that being good at the mid-range is not a bad thing in and of itself because there are very few teams that are able to create that shot that Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and even Mikhail Bridges to a certain extent 
can create or DA like he has been a release valve with that mid range jumper that became automatic in the second half of the season. Those are all important things to have, but they should be kind of the thing that puts you over the top, not the foundation. And so I I do want to point out a quote that Monty said, this was way back in November. um, And he said this about Chris Paul's mid range game. He said, I think the efficiency of his mid-range game is the thing that sets everything up. When you have the ball in your hands and you're playing a pick and roll, rarely are you going to get a three. When bigs are in drop or in coverage, it's hard for you to get to the basket. So his ability to knock down that 12 to 15 footer, I think it gives us balance to the rest of his of our game, the passing, the lobs, the ability to get to the free throw line. But then you add that mid-range, I think that's the safety blanket for him and for us. And I think the- that is concerning a little bit. But the and, and that's a great point. The the issue here is is not Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It really isn't. It's about everybody else. And when Mikhail's mid range game goes kaput, and Cam Johnson can't basically didn't really have much of a mid range game outside of threes and driving into the basket uh, on those rare occasions when he actually did. Um, and everybody else was just kind of lost in the sauce. That's when, as you said, the rug gets pulled out from under you, and you got to rely on everybody else to step their mid-range game up because that's what you built the system around. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's where you start to see the flaws in the system. But I think that's – you could probably say that about every system, to be fair. Like, if you don't have the right personnel or if you don't <clears> – <throat> if your players don't play at a high enough level, any system could look like dog shit like the Suns did for four out of five games against the Mavs. Yeah, but that quote talking about how much is predicated on CP3 – we saw five straight games where CP3 couldn't hit, which then makes it very easy for the defense to key on other areas, not just what Chris Paul's doing. So then all of a sudden it, it's a domino effect, right? Chris Paul isn't hitting those mid-range shots efficiently. The defense can not take that as seriously. They can play off of these or play on to these other guys a bit more. And it looks as if, the whole system has, has come to a grinding halt simply because as Lindsay's cat uh, is licking her I, ear. There. I didn't see what happened. I just I saw something stick happen. out of the side of her head. I was like, what is that? Oh, okay. He's oh. been sitting next to me this whole show. I knew it was just a matter of time before he jumped up and joined in. So, so anyways, the defense, when Chris Paul isn't hitting that mid, mid-range, Defense can focus elsewhere, and then it looks like it, it's a catastrophic failure on the complete system there, which we saw in that Dallas series. Right, and, and it looks like a failure on the part of the system. The system was fine until you lose that guy, Chris Paul, being able to set up a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff, and that, unfortunately, is the contingency that this team is going to have to plan for. So let's take a look at some of the problem areas here They got 33% of their shots from three-point range, which ranks 25th in the NBA, despite being, I think, seventh in three-point percentage. They got 25.3% of their shots at the rim, which was dead last in the NBA, despite being, again, top 10 in field goal percentage from that spot. Their free throw rate, 29th in the NBA, second to last. Now, this is the key one. Effective field goal percentage versus location effective field goal percentage. And I don't want to scare anybody off, so I'm going to explain this as easily as I possibly can. Effective field goal percentage is basically just a percentage that factors in the way that three points is worth more than two. So basically the Suns shot a really good effective field goal percentage. They were effective from everywhere. They were third in the NBA in the regular season and third in the playoffs, very similar percentages with effective field goal percentage. Location effective field goal percentage, however, 
puts all every team's percentage shooting at an even level. So they shot league average from the rim, league average from mid-range, league average from three. And that is how you kind of determine and get a sense of what is a team shot profile? Are they taking enough shots at the rim? Are they taking enough threes? Are they taking too many mid-range shots? The Suns were dead last in location effective field goal percentage in the regular season. And they were 18th out of 20 teams, playoff and play-in teams included in the postseason. So this is a team that if you look at their location effective field goal percentage, they shot way higher than anyone really can from the mid-range, but they were not getting enough free throw shots, not enough rim shots, and not enough three-point shots. So I, I go into a lot of detail about these numbers in the article for those. This is too much to absorb at once. But like this is the kind of stuff that really points out the Suns overperformed as far as what they're expected to shoot and how they need to tweak their shot profile. Because if you're not getting shots at the rim, if you're not getting threes, those are the two most important shots in basketball. And then you add in free throws on top of that. That's the top three. That's all of them. So you need to tweak your profile a little bit. You need to stop taking so many difficult shots, even if your personnel is really good at those particular shots. So do you guys think it's a, should they change more of the system or should they change more of the personnel? Well, I think so it's you, a little of both. Yeah. You can't change the system unless you have the personnel to change the system. Right. Um, you know, you need to have some key pieces around CP three and Devin Booker in order to change um, you know, the, the dynamic of always being a mid range shooting team and never getting to the rim. You need DA to be a lot more aggressive going to the basket and pounding guys down low. Um, you know, I, I think they have the pieces in, in, in tow. I think they have the pieces in tow to modify this to a degree. Um, I don't know. Again, EJ said it. He, he talked about having to get a playmaker. Um, and, and I know everybody's kind of, you know, looking at the backup point guard position, the spell, Chris Paul. I, I agree. You just need a playmaker. You need somebody else that can step back and hit the three, that can drive it to the basket, that will get fouled. Um, that will be the aggressor. Uh, that's what I think this Suns team probably lacks the most. I don't think they really have anybody that's like that outside of Devin Booker and CP3, to be honest. You, you need a dog. You need somebody else to be out there to take that pressure off. Um, and I think if you just do that one small piece, it will free up a lot more perimeter opportunities and opportunities at the rim. It feels like that power forward spot is the, the area – you could upgrade and get that. And maybe it's internal. Maybe Cam Johnson becomes that guy. We've seen maybe they get Smith back again. What was that? Oh, God. He's not a four. Let's not go down that road. I never, <laughs> want to, never want to hear that damn name again on this program. Anyways, though, but I think that's the position where you can get there. Maybe Cam from that internal growth can become more of that guy. But I think there's probably an external factor that comes into play there that you're going to have to bring somebody in to accomplish that but you know I, I think the most telling stat you had was that they were 30th at points around the rim right it was at what it was percentage at, of shots at the rim yeah at the rim so and that right there is where the the anti-da crowd is right because if you have a dominant big you should have a larger percentage uh, you know of your of your buckets around that rim and that's probably the best stat I've seen to understand the frustration that people are bringing up. And I know that's not all on DA that, that that's an entire team stat, mm -hmm. but in part, I can understand. 
And it's it's like we're talking about that lack of a third creator because campaign he can get downhill, but he's not a very good finisher. And someone pointed out the Suns were fourth in points in the paint. That does include the short mid range, which is in when you get in the lane there. But we're talking strictly shots at the rim, which you need more of if you're the Suns. I, I think you hope that Mikhail and Cam take a step forward in that regard. You give them more responsibility this season where you just throw the ball to them and let them try and create. Um, that's something we've talked about with DA, the next step for him, uh, being able to create more of his own offense. I'm going through the numbers right now and all of his shots from this season. And the vast majority of them are pick and rolls, um, you know, just catching the ball and shooting it right away. Not a lot of it comes from his own ability to put it on the floor. So I think if those guys, those younger guys are able to take a step forward, if you're able to find an upgrade for campaign, somebody who can get downhill or a wing who can actually put the ball on the floor and attack the basket, I think you're in a really good spot as far as shoring up some of those weaknesses. Well, for more on all of this, head on over to gophnx.com. As Gerald mentioned, he wrote a really fantastic article that kind of breaks this down even further, and he goes more into the numbers side of things. So that's the place to go if you want to dive more into this conversation. Uh, anybody want to take a guess in the chat which host here has had an OG's snack before the show? <laughs> anybody want to take a guess? Just... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of a guess. Can't figure out which way to point. <laughs> How do you? Yeah, you don't even know what you're doing. It's no, I, 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 I pointed not. in the right spot. I didn't. All you had to do was go down, Lindsay. <laughs> exactly. It was easy. <laughs> I don't know. Peach ale. That's all I'm saying. It's Thursday. It's the Thirsty Thursday. And Saul has been taking that and running with it today, enjoying all the finer things in life. Four Peaks beer, OGs, gummies. Saul, how are you feeling right now? I just put it all into a blender. Is that not okay? <laughs> you choose you. We support you, yeah. whatever, I guess. No, he's I mean, so like, oh, thirsty. He's, he's thirst trapping on Instagram. He's, he's thirsty on this Thursday. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I listen. OG's is, 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 the, is the OG. Let's just call it like that. There you go. There you go. Gerald, there's a cheesy line for the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I just had their uh, orange creamsicle sativa, so. Is I'm that hyped. your favorite flavor? They have so many. And I've heard that one seems to be like one of the more popular ones. That's my favorite one. And they're lucky it has THC in it because I would eat a whole bag of those in a second. <laughs> Agreed. They're, I love the that. flavor alone is enough. But when you got that yeah. sativa and how, or, you know, the, the sativa or indica and how that makes you feel, it, it's worth it. It's, it's worth the extra calories. Too. But if I, if I <laughs> eat the whole bag, um, no, nothing good would come of that. You'd be I promise you. Well, I, I don't. I don't think our friends at OGs are recommending that you eat the whole bag. I think they're, uh, <laughs> you know, they're they're pr trying to get you to enjoy them cautiously responsibly. or responsibly. responsibly. There enjoy you responsibly. The enjoy theme responsibly of the show. <laughs> yes, yes. Not as a twelve-year-old. <laughs> Just responsibly. Oh Gilbert in the chat said we need an ad voice roulette. Um, we'll have one for you tomorrow. So yeah, we will hang on for that one. Edward said yeah, we should have had, oh, EJ for ad voice roulette. It would have been funny if we would have gotten EJ to do an ad <laughs> roulette. We should have done that next time. We'll have to 
see if we can get our guests to indulge us a little bit with some of the chaos of this show. But if you guys do want to try out OGs and all of the amazingly delicious variety of flavors that they have to offer, go to ogsbrands.com. That's O-G-E-E-Z brands.com to find OGs near you. Are we doing a snake draft tomorrow? Yes. yes. You want to? Yes. Uh, well, so can we ask the chat what they would like us to snake draft? Yes. Why don't they put that in there? Well, I, I, yes. I don't know if you guys play Wordle anymore. If anybody does, mute it for a second. <laughs> I don't want to ruin today's word if you haven't gotten there. But it's Gerald. And I know Gerald is six letters, but there's a five-letter word that we call Gerald that actually was oh. the Wordle word of the day. And it's insane that it actually was. And it warmed my heart. That's so funny. I hadn't played it yet, but I had seen everybody messaging and being like, you guys have to play Wordle today. You have to play it. That's hilarious. Gerald, you're going like, you're getting big time. Look at you. I, I don't know though. Do people still play Wordle a lot? Am I was I playing it this prime? morning and I, I got stuck on the second line. I was like, damn it. I had IR in the middle and I was trying to put all the pieces together. I couldn't. And then Shane dropped it in the chat I was like you guys gotta play wordle and i was like why would he say that i was like oh i got it yeah. <laughs> by the way we we also need i think maybe tomorrow we'll play some hurdle have you guys we've played that in the office a little bit where you guess the nba player maybe mm -hmm. we'll try that on the program too that would be fun Down. all right well tomorrow is going to be a fun friday edition so plan to come hang out with us if you have an idea for a snake draft you can tweet it at us at the show, PHNX underscore Suns, myself, Lindsay Smith AZ, Gerald, Gerald Borgay, Saul, Saul underscore Bookman, and of course, Espo at Espo. Espo, take us home. Remember, listen responsibly. Ahoy, hoy. hoy.